All right. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Interesting weekend in Knoxville, Tennessee time. Boat fire time, mulch fire time, tire fire time. Probably not fire coach yet time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Full crew in the house today, Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown, Grant Ramey, Ryan Callahan, Fort Rucker Studio on a Labor Day afternoon. Hope everyone's having a good good Labor Day. Hope you're enjoying the day off with your family. Hope you're having a more enjoyable day than you did on Saturday. Guys, uh, we did not see that coming. Uh, Tennessee, more or less played one of the worst teams in NCAA Division I FBS football, Georgia State, and the Vols uh, took off their pants and ran naked backwards through a cornfield. 38-30. Um, rough day, fellas. Yeah, I mean, if you saw that one coming, let me know next time so I can at least profit off of it. But that that was not anything that... I mean, we were we were all going into that game thinking Tennessee needs to do exactly what it did, play a lot of guys, experiment with some things. You know, we were we were viewing it as a preseason game, and I, I almost wonder if Tennessee approached it like a preseason game because I think they, they had to be surprised by how competitive it was. And even once it became obvious that it was going to be a dogfight, they, they just couldn't pull out of it. So just one of those days that, I mean, you see these upsets happen, but not often that you see one play out quite like that where, I mean, it's a 15-point game until the garbage touchdown with two seconds left. It was a, it was a clear, clearly a day where Georgia State was the better team, and no one could even argue that. Yeah, that you know, you see some of these upsets like that, and it's kind of fluky, or the other team gets you know a break or something like that. And that wasn't the case. I mean, I, Georgia State outplayed Tennessee, particularly in the second half. Tennessee had chances in the first half to uh, build a lead, to, to to get some some breathing space, and and get in front. And they they uh, they didn't do it. And then in the second half, they just didn't have any answers for what Georgia State was doing on offense, and. Uh, particularly in the fourth quarter on, on Tennessee's own offense, capitulated pretty much. And uh, what you get is arguably one of the worst losses in this program's history. If there's a list, it's it's it may not be at the top of it, but oh, it's, it's up there. Top three, I would say. I mean, you have 75 losing North Texas at home. That was a team, Tennessee team, that was ranked, I think, as high as number 10. Rutgers came up a lot. In the country. Uh, 96 losing at Memphis when you were a 10-win team. They were a 4-win team. Yep. And you had Peyton Manning at quarterback. I was there. Wyoming 08. Uh, Wyoming 08. It's just such a different animal when it's the season opener and it's an awful team. It should, on paper, it should have been an awful team, you know, a team that's picked to finish last in the Sun Belt. So that's what makes it feel so different than any of these others. That that North Texas game, I think they had just lost Alabama the week before. That was a, a Hayden Fry North Texas team. Yeah, that almost beat Miss State that year. Right. Team. And you talk, and, and I, I think there was a big yardage difference at Memphis in, in the 96. They had a. The knee go down there. Some kind of return it. or something. I can't remember what happened. Or there was a kick return. Memphis turned a kick off. And, and everything, the guys everything the that happened in 08, it was, you know, dead man walking time at the point of the season when, when Wyoming came and, and beat Tennessee on. I guess homecoming in November. Players super emotional that week. Right. It was just so. I mean, it's so different when. And and the number one question since then has been: Is there are there issues with this team? Is there locker room stuff going on? No. I mean, you don't hear about that over the summer. They said all the right things. Jeremy Pruitt talking about he likes his team and likes where they're headed. He said at media days that he likes where they're headed and they're headed there in a hurry. And 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 this is the result they get. It's insane. Yeah, to me, it, it was it. The game was not a fluke uh, because the second half went the way it did. The first half, Tennessee having just a three point lead was a bit flukish, and, and I think that game, when you try to really wrap your mind around what happened, uh, Tennessee did what you just absolutely cannot do: uh, turn the ball over deep in their own end to start the game. Uh, that is going to give any underdog confidence. Uh, then Tennessee couldn't keep Georgia State out of the end zone there, which did nothing to hurt that confidence Georgia State had. And, and I think Tennessee's staff, uh, those guys have all wanted a high level, and I think they're used to taking games like this early in the season as a way to get guys going. Last year against West Virginia, they knew it would be a challenge. Uh, they knew that they had to you know, come out with a really good game plan on both sides of the ball. didn't work, but they knew going into it they had to do that. They were really vanilla in that game against Georgia State, and I think there were a couple reasons for that. One, the obvious one is they 
did not want to show too much going forward. And the second thing is they wanted to put in a, a small number of, of things in the scheme so young and experienced players, uh, especially on defense, could put this stuff together and just play fast. But then they started the game by going into that early hole. Uh, they missed an opportunity to put the ball in the end zone in the first half. And they just they let Georgia State start believing. And Georgia State needs credit, uh, deserves credit for having a really good game plan. I, I think a lot of that was Tennessee just getting in its own way. But Georgia State did execute very well. Ellington made a couple of really clutch throws into tight spots, despite not being an elite passer, I don't think, by any stretch. He made a couple of elite throws. And just everything started to come together. And then they got a deer in the headlights when they realized they were in a fight. And the inexperience showed up. And that's what you get. I mean, they just they, they were they were a deer caught in the headlights, I think. Well, the, the macro view is that quarterback sucks, coaching staff sucks, they're in their head, everybody's mad. I mean, that, that everything is wrong. That's the macro view. You just lost to Georgia State. I, honestly, when I went back and watched the game on Sunday, it was worse kind of seeing the nuts and bolts of, of how it happened yeah. than, than the overall just view from the surface, view from 100 feet, view in the moment. View um, from the clouds where we're sitting, let's be real. Yeah, and you just, like, you, and the way I can kind of sum up how, how bad it was is on offense, I thought Tennessee found the most kind of ridiculous and baffling ways to screw themselves out of points. Yep. Just just little, I mean, as simple as not catching a swing pass that hits you right in the hands or getting stuffed on a quarterback sneak on third and one when you have seven offensive linemen on the field. Yeah, that was, that was bad. Um, throwing behind a receiver on fourth down. You know, if, if Darren Garantano leads Josh Palmer on that slant route, maybe he catches it. If he, you know, it's behind him, DB's in, in, a, in good enough position to make that play. Um, throwing the ball behind the sticks <coughs> to your backup tight well, and, end and on third on, and two and, was and, just really bad. And then on that play, Marquez Calloway was wide open on a hook. I mean, he sat down in the zone. The guy that was covering Pope went with him, and, and Garantano just missed him. And there were other times I thought Garantano, uh, it seemed like he went through one or two reads, expected there would be pressure. There wasn't, so he just tucked it and ran it. It's almost uh, – and so they just – they found ways to uh, just just on offense. It was a lot of, I think, player situations where they just they just, they just just didn't play well on offense. Defensively, I, I put all that on the coaching staff. I don't think the coaching staff today – I thought they did a poor job of getting that team prepared. Um, they did a poor job of adjusting yep. to what Georgia State was doing. Uh, and what Georgia State was doing is they were taking their tight end and moving him across, like, behind the line. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes he would line up off the tackle. He'd be between the guard and the tackle. Sometimes he lined up between the center and the guard. Like, it, if he took one step to his right or left, he pretty much would have been the under center quarterback. I mean, that's what it looked like. It was the old PlayStation trick and, we used to do all and, the time. And, and, and I mean, so we that, did that We did that in Pee Wee football. Yeah. We, would put, it, but, we would put somebody but, between but, those gaps. But Tennessee never adjusted. Tennessee never brought a safety up to, to counter. And so yep. what you had was you had six blockers, the quarterback and the running back, and then Tennessee had six guys in the box yep. because they kept the two safeties back. So they never they never adjusted to that. And then there were three moments where Tennessee's coaching staff just in for, you know, unforgivable mistakes. One was when they had three guys line up at defensive end yep. on the same side of the field. That was I, I've um, never seen it. I've never seen and, anything and they're just like that. So confused. And the funny thing about that play is that Daryl Taylor comes free off that edge, and and Ellington just spun around him and, and went outside and ran. He didn't run for the first down, but he ran for enough that they went forward on fourth down and got it. And mm-hmm. so that was their second, that was Georgia State's, I think, first touchdown drive. Their second touchdown second drive touchdown after the turnover. Drive, yeah. uh, and then there were two moments in the fourth quarter where they were just super late in substitutions that were that were killers. And um, Pruitt said that one of those was his fault. And, and what they were trying to do is, I think because Ellington, he was quick, elusive, runner, they tried to put some more athletic guys off the edges. So they were pretty much trying to sub in an outside linebacker for a defensive lineman. So some, you know, a lot of times we see them go three defensive linemen and Daryl Taylor, basically. Mm-hmm. A lot of times in this game, they go two defensive linemen and then either Taylor or DeAndre Johnson or, Con- or Kevon Bennett, one of the, you know, a combination of those two guys. And so uh, on the first one, on, on Georgia State's go-ahead touchdown, DeAndre Johnson's literally running on the field as a boss now. Yep. And then they run right where he's supposed to be. Will Ignat, Trayvon Flowers get lost looking at the middle. Guys, you know, bounces it outside and, and they're, they're not in position to make the play. And then after the sack fumble, uh, when they got the 12, you know, 12 men on the field penalty on third down, that was an incompletion on third down. So if Daryl Motherland gets off the field, if you make that substitution in time or call timeout, yeah. you, you have a chance there to hold Georgia, Georgia State to a field goal attempt, and it's an eight-point game as opposed to 35-23. So it's still a one-possession game at that point. And those were – And that point, were, I think, I think those, they panicked because they wanted the timeout in the, the pocket. Yeah, but, you, you, you know, you can't – you know, you'd rather burn it there and get a stop if that's what it gets you. Agreed. Uh, and so those, those were three moments where Tennessee's coaching – and I think overall defensively they just – they never uh, – they, they didn't put themselves, they didn't put the defensive linemen, they didn't put those young linebackers, they didn't put any of those guys in position to be successful. Um, and I think that's what it kind of boils down to. With, with me, I, I kept wondering why they didn't have a spy 
out there because Ellington kept kind of making that first defensive end miss because Tennessee's defensive ends didn't have much trouble kind of getting around those tackles. But what happened was they would over-pursue, they would under-pursue, and Ellington would just kind of spin away or, or step up and wiggle his way out of it. And then he would kind of scramble and make some things happen. And, and if that happens once or twice, uh, whatever, man, that's football that happens. When it kept happening and Tennessee absolutely needed to get a stop late in the game, I don't know why there wasn't a spy out there more consistently because that would have – probably solved some of those issues, at least by keeping him a little more contained. And there were so many things. I think, Pat, you hit it right on the head. Uh, Tennessee defensively lost three guys that it really couldn't afford to lose uh, going into that game, and I'm going to be frank about that. That is what it is. I think it hurt worse than we thought it would. Yeah, and Batuli not being out there was big. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it just seemed to me like they did not have any idea what to expect or how to adjust to it. Because in a season opener, I don't care who you are, you're a D3 team. You've been scouting all offseason. You've been watching a team. You know where those holes are going to be. You go exploit a couple of them. You make a play here or there. That's going to happen. That's football. Uh, but the, the lack of adjusting to it was just almost criminal. It was bad, 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 bad. And I think, I don't know if it was panic from the sideline. I don't know if it was panic on the field, anxiety, whatever you want to call it. They got stuck in the headlights, and they just could not believe they were in that situation, and then they couldn't get out of it, and it was really kind of torturous to watch. I, I think it – I mean, that, people have kind of asked how did this happen, and that's the thing. I don't think you can really point to any one thing. This is a bunch it's, of it's, things. It's never one thing when yeah. something this catastrophic happens. Right. I think this is a bunch of things adding up to just a, a game that if you played it ten times, it might not happen this way again uh, or anything close to this because – you had Ty Chandler, Tennessee's best offensive player, fumble twice in the first half, causing the coaching staff to essentially pull him from the game. Yep. He, he played on kick returns in the second half, and that's about it. Eric Gray, look, who looked good to his credit, um, played pretty much the second half at, at running back with Tim Jordan playing a little bit uh, to spell him. Yeah, I think Jordan got too many touches. Yeah, and Jordan got too many touches. He wasn't productive. You had an offensive game plan that I thought was – I thought while, I loved Tim Jordan. While also – while they were trying to keep things simple on defense, I thought they almost got a little too cute at times on offense. They, they had a third and one where they had Eric Gray five yards in the backfield as a single back, and Ramel Keaton gets a jet sweep, which, I mean, credit the them. It worked, and the it might have gone for a touchdown. Yeah, the, pl- better. the play worked. I, I just it, – it, it struck me in the situation as kind of an odd play and un- unpredictable for sure, but yeah. It, an it, unnecessary risk. Yeah, so um, that's just an example that comes to mind, but I thought I thought there were some, there were some things like that that were odd, and then Jared Garantano – Sorry, Garantano. We're still getting used to the new pronunciation. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have a real hard time with that. Just point, just calling. Yeah, what it's, it is. it's been four years. But uh, but Jared Garantano playing the way he did. You know, he's he's getting a lot of flack for a guy that threw for 300 yards and a couple of touchdowns, and somewhat fairly. He, I, I think a lot of it's deserved. Yeah, he he made he made a lot of big mistakes and and made some bad reads and bad decisions on some some plays. But you had that and and the Chandler deal and and not really, I don't know, just not really ever getting into a full rhythm on offense I felt like and then on defense the guys were out that you mentioned and then you know not adjusting to some things it just just sort of all added up to Georgia State having it having a chance to kind of do what it wanted on both sides of the ball and the, the most surprising thing might have been what Jeremy Pruitt said Monday during his press conference he you know we, we kind of got the impression the offensive line just from a distance it didn't look like the offensive line played great all day but he kind of mentioned they, they were good early on but struggled late uh, all those sacks and breakdowns and protection, for the most part, uh, came in the. And if you're rotating ten guys, shouldn't they be fresh? <clears throat> well, yeah. The, the, of those four sacks, there was really only one of them that was really on the offensive line. I mean, right. One, and that was the one where he, uh, they brought Wanya Morris in at left guard, and, and I, you know, he just we, got beat. Uh, well, 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 no, it's like I mean, Will Friend catches a lot of heat for the offensive line. I'm not sure what Will Friend can do when Wanya Morris goes into his pass set and a guy literally runs right by him. Yep. I mean, there were three guys rushing and one linebacker. He's supposed just, to coach them up to not let them run by them. I mean, I, it shouldn't take a coaching a effort joke, for me way. to see this guy's running. I'm going to go block him. Like it shouldn't. It, that I don't know. It just I know he's a freshman, first time, whatever. I don't. But I don't think Georgia State did anything exotic there. He, he, guy came on a blitz. But the other three, Eric Gray got blown up on one of them. Yeah. Uh, badly, the other two, badly blown up. And the other two were. Purely on Jared Garantano, one, he does not see a corner blitz. I don't think he's ever seen a cornerback blitz since he's been Tennessee's starting quarterback. He, he said he saw the safety behind the corner. What do you think he's doing uh, over there? I mean, it was late. The guy came. He didn't, you know, he didn't show that he was that he was going to blitz at that point. But and then, and then the, the, I think the last sack was against a three man rush where Garantano just held the ball. So there were moments where Garantano 
didn't hold the ball long enough, didn't let plays develop, didn't let guys come open downfield in Georgia State's zone, and there were, and that was a situation where he held the ball way too long and three-man rush, they finally get to him. Yeah, there needs to be a way before the snap that if for some reason Kennedy or, or Garantano don't see it, at least the wide receiver ought to be able to go back and yell heat or heat or something to well, see that. That was a good coming. blitz because he, he, didn't, he didn't tip it off at all, though. Well, he, what's weird is Garantano said he saw the safety stacked behind the corner and they had one middle field safety. That doesn't always mean it's a corner blitz, and I'm not going to pretend that I know as much about football as they do, but if I see that, that's got to be one thing that's in the back of my mind is that might be happening. So I, I, don't, I don't know exactly why that happened, but I can tell you this. There were a lot of things. Garantano didn't make a ton of mistakes, but the ones he did were, were irredeemable if you want to win a football game. Uh, he did not see that corner blitz. Uh, he threw the ball to a tight end, basically at the line of scrimmage on a third and two. I don't know how you let that happen. The, the thing that I went back and when I looked at the numbers, the thing that really bothered me was that Tennessee had to kick three field goals uh, that, that really could have been touchdown drives. And Jawan Jennings had eight catches on seven tar- or seven catches on eight targets. Had a phenomenal game. I how thought. in the world? Now I don't know if that's a play calling issue. I don't know if that's an issue where a guy like uh, you know Garantano is just not recognizing the hot hand and recognizing the guy who really is so good at fifty fifty balls. They're not fifty fifty balls. How do you not look for Jawan Jennings more in those situations because he was making plays all day long? And if you got three field goals that could have been touchdown drives and you clearly did not throw the ball to Jawan Jennings, I have an issue with that. Well, I mean, uh, he, he, he gets eight it's, targets. It's not like they targeted a guy more than him. No, but why Why on those third downs where there's not things specifically drawn up for or to go to him? And I just – there's a lot of things. I just – Garantano is in his fourth year of playing college football. And, and let's make no mistake about this. Tennessee's defense was infinitely worse than Tennessee's offense in that game. Tennessee's offense was not good enough. Tennessee's defense was terrible. But, but you still scored. But those, those, those problems – are ones that you just can't make as a fourth-year starting quarterback. You, that can't happen. It just can't. That is not recognizing the game. That is not taking care of the ball. That's not valuing the ball in critical times. There were so many things in that game uh, that he did well, but the things he did well are things you can't allow. You yeah. just can't. I don't know that Tennessee's defense played that much worse than the offense when you look at I think it. it did. The defense allowed 350 yards. They got put in some bad spots by turnovers and things like that. And the offense – had a lot more experience and really wasn't missing anybody. The defense was missing, as we said, a key a, a key player, including Emmett Gooden, at each level of the defense. I mean, you can sort of expect the defense with all those freshmen they were playing to have some issues. And those freshmen looked like freshmen, as you would expect at times. Henry Toto, I thought, played well at times, but then he got pulled from the game at times. So Warren Burrell looked like a freshman at corner. Those 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 kinds of learn those those guys are going to face learning curves in the early part of the season. You kind of have to expect that. The offense, to me, and I've said all along, it's going to have to carry this team. They've got seniors and guys who played a lot of football on that side of the ball. You've got to do better than scoring two touchdowns when the game's in question against a Sunbelt team. See, to me, the third down, the two, the most unforgivable thing on offense was some of Garantano's decision-making. I agree. Um, and Chandler's fumbles. And, and But on, on defense, to me, the single worst thing that happened in that football game was Tennessee's third down defense. It was atrocious. And if you cannot get off the field – you just you don't have a chance to win games. I just I don't I don't buy the experience stuff. That's that's I mean you're at home against Georgia State. Yeah. Even if you're a freshman, you should be a better football player than the guy across from you. I mean Bo Nix is throwing a 26 yard touchdown pass with nine seconds left against Oregon uh, in Dallas in a huge game. Uh, there there are freshmen all over the country that produce right away day one step in and do something. This is Georgia State at home. First game of the season, you should be better than that. Which and, 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 and you should be able to line up for a play yeah. and know that if me and Patrick are defensive ends, we should not be on the same side of the football field. That doesn't make sense. We should be on opposite sides. I think, I think you know, that, that was maybe one line of lining up issue. Uh, and they said, and Pruitt said after the game they didn't do a good job on the third down package. But Georgia State had a lot of third and shorts. Um, I think they had nine that were between one and four yards, and they had 17 mm-hmm. total. So, and I think some of those um, – some of those ones they didn't get late in the game where, you know, when they're just trying to run the clock out. So uh, they were doing, you know, they were getting, staying ahead of the sticks on first and second down too. And that that was opening up their playbook. That was keeping Tennessee off balance. But uh, again, and, and, you know, to Jeremy Pruitt's credit, I think he's made it clear that, that they, they messed up. I think he said that, you know, 
it's on him and it's on the staff. Yes. To uh, and it is for the most part, I think. Yeah, it is. I mean, and you know, he, he did say, and I know some, you know, a lot of people have said the teams quit, all this stuff. He he doesn't think it's he didn't think it was an effort issue. Um, he he chalked it up to execution. I know, but that's not what people want to hear. People want to hear him firing brimstone, calling people out, all that kind of stuff. But that you know, what good does that do? I don't think that's. I think he's handled it so far the way you have to handle it. I think yeah. you have to you have to be kind of level headed about it and say, you know, we've got to just keep working. And, and, and we and at least publicly. And Grant, yeah. now you and I talked about this right after we talked the other night. I mean, he didn't sound. You know, if you didn't know any better, you would have thought they lost to Alabama. You would have known they lost to Georgia State in this catastrophic loss. I mean. I know people. You know people want or to see you, him. You would have thought they won, and it was a kind of just a yeah. He, he, performance. he is he is who he is. Uh, I know people want to see people emotion. want people want to see the opening press conference. Jeremy Pruitt, where he's hitting the podium, people and saying see, I at twenty seven times. Yeah, they want to see him kick the whiteboard. And, 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 you know the, the, the Tim Tebow speeches and all that crap. But, it's just that does that, that that doesn't matter. That's that's not. I mean, first of all, that's not really who he is. Uh, and I and I think we all. You know, I don't I don't want to speak for y'all, but I think. I can say that this guy is used to winning a lot of football games. He's not used to losing. Yeah, he's not used to dealing with this kind of this mm-hmm. kind of and stuff. And and so behind the scenes, I'm sure he's pretty chapped about what's happened. I'm sure it's not sitting well with him. Yeah, and let me say this: I, I've multiple people have asked me about it. You know, he's so stoic looking or calm looking on the sideline. Is he checked out already? Is he is he frustrated already? You know, what what's the reason for his sideline demeanor being so different from last year when we saw him? You know, getting really mad at times and. Uh, and, and and there was even talk that it, after the game he wasn't really that upset in the post game locker room talking with players, and, and they're wondering why that is. I I think that's been sort of an adjustment maybe on his part. I think he's he's tried to to remain more level head on the sideline, or it seems that way. But I, I don't I definitely don't think that's a sign that he's not as invested or that he's you know down in the dumps about this program or anything like that. I just I, I think that's just kind of who he is, and he's well, focusing on what he can do. When, when you have a situation like this. Uh, when, when this something this bad happens, um, you open yourself up. You open yourself up to all kinds of criticism. Oh yeah. And there's people uh, that have been, you know, questioning and how the way he talks, the way he, you know, the grammar he uses as a sign that he's not a good football coach. I'm like, that's the, that's absurd. But yeah, uh, that, I get why people are so mad at everything. Pretty and, dumb. That's uh, the grammar you eat up after they beat Auburn. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, for his whole year. first year, it was well, he sounds like one of us. Isn't that charming? Isn't that endearing? And now it's a sign that he is, you know, dumber than a bag of rocks. And well, it's and, like, and. and you know, I, it, whatever he said after the game, whatever he says the rest of this week, whatever any players say if they talk, none of that matters. All The only thing that matters at this point is how they play against BYU. That's all that matters. They can talk and say all the right things. If they don't come out and play fiery and execute and do everything right and beat BYU, it's not going to matter. And that's that's all that matters at this point. Georgia State games in the past, and they've got to find a way now to respond and get the season and back on track somehow one way or the other. To your point, too, Jeremy Pruitt is – absolutely not happy behind the scenes i'm sure of that i mean that if you if you know the guy at all he is a competitor in everything he does i think when, he's furious with himself i, I, I think yeah i think he probably is too I, I i i just think it's yeah anybody that thinks he doesn't care or something based on his sideline demeanor just has a fundamental misunderstanding of who he is this this burns him i'm sure and he's going to do everything he can to to get things straightened out this week but yeah i think one of the biggest problems was tennessee's approach from the coaching staff down i think they just you don't want to say they took them lightly or thought they couldn't lose, but I think they did kind of handle this game like a game that where they needed to figure out some things about themselves and didn't worry quite as much about Georgia State, and that added or led to all the things we talked about kind of causing this game to go sideways. Yeah, the crap about wh- whether he wants to be here or whether he's happy here. Yeah. Let, let me tell you exactly why that doesn't matter. Assume for a second, and you, you'd be wrong if you assumed this, but, but we'll go ahead and play along here. If you assumed that he didn't want to be here, Guys, he's not going to get somewhere he wants to be more than this if his team sucks. And he's if, not. That's not going to look good. Ask Butch Jones. He's a freaking intern right now in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, if he loses you know why? Here, because going... he embarrassed himself so badly when he was here. That Jeremy Pruitt cares about the color of the shirt that he's wearing every day. That's what he cares about, and he wants that product to be good. That I mean, would he be recruiting so hard if he didn't care? It's not that. Let's just flush that out completely that that's irrelevant and stupid and we need to be better than that that's just bad that's it's dumb it's really dumb it's ignorant as a coach your personal brand is what you put on the field every saturday he no nothing is more personal to a coach than what happens with their team on the field especially when you're a head coach for the first time this is what he's going to be remembered as for the rest of his career even if he 
if he never gets to be a head coach again after Tennessee, people are going to say, hey, remember when he was Tennessee's head coach and how that went? Yeah. So yeah. that's, I mean, he, this is his chance. He's not taking this lightly. He's not wanting to be somewhere else. He wants to get this right and win big at Tennessee. You know what was better than what's better than Tennessee's performance on Saturday uh, against uh, Georgia State is the uh, the products and services and and in house ads that you get on this podcast during commercial breaks. We're going to step away for a second. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about if this can get better and how it can get better. Uh, but before that, we're going to go pay some bills. Hashtag ad. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back. Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Got the full crew in the house today. Wes Rucker alongside Patrick Brown, Grant Ramey, Ryan Callahan working clockwise uh, across the Fort Rucker studio right now. Guys, we saw how bad Saturday was against Georgia State. Um, it's going to be something that's going to be discussed for a long time. Uh, and it's, it's either going to be a sign that this thing was never going to work or it's going to be kind of a fork in the road where Tennessee went the right way and then started doing things better. I think it can only be one of those two things. And so going forward, here's my question now. I'm not talking about for the long term. I'm talking about for this 2019 football season. Can this thing get better, and how can it get there? Well, I mean, it it can't really get much worse. Um, And and the big question question for me, and really the only question for me is, like you said, it was Saturday just a really, really bad day from a lot of people from the top down, or was it a sign that there are deeper issues? Um, and by deeper issues, I mean, is there, there are kind of two things I'm thinking. One is, is there something you know people want to say? Has he lost the locker room? Has Pruitt lost the locker room? And the other question is, uh, is, is Pruitt cut you know cut up to be a head coach at this level? Correct. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's lost the locker room. The whole off season talk and. Uh, and y'all can can vouch for this as well. It was about how Pruitt last season, while trying to focus on fixing everything, kind of forgot about the players and forgot yeah. about building a relationship with those players. He's admitted that multiple times. He even said it last week and uh, on his in his Monday press conference. Players have said the same thing. He's got a better relationship with a lot of guys. Um, that's why he got into coaching. That's one of his favorite parts of being a head. You know, being a football coach is is getting to develop players and people and, uh, and interact with uh, with them. Uh, and so, you know, that's – I can't see how, uh, the, you know, how he would have lost the locker room already. And, Grant, you've pointed this out a couple times. Usually that happens after losses start piling up. That usually happens when drama is – Yeah, and when there's drama. and When you've been around each other for 12 and, months. And, there's, and that's, not, that's, not, that's not been the case. The two things I don't understand uh, and, I, and two of the reactions that haven't that – quite, that have quite confused me are, are saying this is a continuation of last season. People bring up the Vanderbilt game. That that yeah. game had nothing to do with what happened on Saturday. So it was two different teams, two different times. That has nothing to do with it. And um, but we don't, you know, we just we don't know. We we, we don't know. We, we, you know, we we just don't know where they go from here. We don't know if this was a bad day or if it's a sign of, of deeper problems. And we're going, you know, the only way to, we're going to find out is is see how they play on Saturday and how they play the rest of the season. And and if you go back and look at everything that was written about that game beforehand and what we talked about on the podcast last week, treating it like a preseason game and, and this thing should be over after three or four possessions, it, it feels like that's the way they approached that game. And it got to the point in the game where players felt like maybe they could flip a switch and find a way to win that football game. And it got to where it was too late to do that. And, and maybe the coaches didn't want to show a ton before playing BYU and Florida and all these teams down the line, and, and maybe they just approached it wrong, and we're not going to know if that was the case until they come out and do something against BYU. And if they look awful against BYU, if they fall on their face again, then it becomes a trend and it becomes 
you know, you're worried about a tailspin. You got Chattanooga at noon the week after that, and there'd be 50,000 seats uh, empty at Neyland Stadium and kind of where the season goes from there. But, I mean, like Pat said, it can't get worse than that. That, that is a historically bad loss, historically dark day for that Tennessee football program. And if they come out and handle business Saturday, it becomes a really embarrassing footnote on a season that could still be okay. It becomes yeah. it becomes uh, Saban losing to La Monroe. Yeah, you know it becomes um, Michigan LSU losing lo- to Troy. LSU losing to Troy. Um, Michigan losing to App State. Although that was a good App State team, but still. But that was also a good Michigan team that won like nine games, eight or nine games, beat yeah. Florida also, in the bowl game, and all that stuff. Had the number one NFL draft pick that year too right. on that team, and five other draft picks. But it, what I. What I'm thinking here is that this is um, – and, and I spoke with – this is not just my opinion. This is – I spoke after the game with the uh, – or the, the day after, spoke with a, a guy who's been a long time, kind of a TSS, AA official. He's a guy who, um, you know, referees from Tennessee practices, and he, he goes to a bunch of games. And, and so the guy knows the game, and he's been around, and he was, he was close enough to kind of get a view for the sideline, which is something he would know about as a guy who, who works football games as a referee. And, and he told me – that the thing that stood out to him the most was, was both at the same time the most alarming thing and the thing that makes you think this this was an aberration. And that was that he thought the the team's demeanor throughout the entire game was that it was playing a scrimmage or, you know, like a high school scrimmage or an NFL preseason game. He never saw a lot of hype. He never saw a lot of guys really kind of having a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. And he said that was really, really jarring and, and borderline embarrassing to see. Uh, but he said, that's the bad news. The good news is that that's one of the easiest things you can fix. That's something that if everybody in the program goes and looks in a mirror, they can come back and say, let's not do that again because that was embarrassing. So it, it's the one thing that makes it really, really unforgivable, uh, but it's also something that's really easy to to, to flip a switch and, and fix. And yeah. so that to me, and and I, I trust this guy's opinions on a lot of things, and I, and I think he, he made a really good point there. Uh, I didn't see it because I wasn't there on the sideline, but I, I think that's something to note. I, I, I don't trust a lot of your opinions, Wes, just for the record. <laughs> Ryan, go ahead. Ouch. I don't trust your life, your face. But, yeah, I, I think that is a good point, and, and I thought Marquez Callaway's comment after the game sort of on that topic was interesting where he, he talked about basically how this team, it, it'll be a good lesson for these young guys to know they, they can't come out and play that way basically and – uh, they've got to be ready, uh, and it's hard to imagine that you're not excited for the first game of the season. I thought everyone's generally kind of fired up just because they're getting to play an actual game against somebody else. But, um, but yeah, you, you kind of did get that feel that this team just wasn't all that fired up about the game. Uh, and and then once you get into it, you know, once once you realize Georgia State is putting up a fight, then it's hard to hard to maybe flip the switch like Grant was saying earlier. But I I do think this is. Part of the issue is still talent. I, I know. I know against a Sun Belt team that excuse doesn't fly. Team picked finished absolute dead I, last. I, in underst- the Sun Belt. I understand that, but let, remember what last year. So I think everybody saw five and seven and saw those last two games of the year and saw that as a missed opportunity. And they saw it by the end of the year after they beat Auburn and Kentucky. They saw that as a six or seven win team that blew an opportunity. And I think the reality is. Tennessee was more like a three-win team that just happened to catch a couple of SEC matchups that fit the, that team really well. They played Auburn that didn't have a great passing game at the time, and they found a Kentucky team that was kind of beaten up. Benny Snell wasn't 100% and didn't have a passing game either. And an Auburn team that Jeremy Pruitt knows yeah. its offense intimately. Very like well. He knows very, yes. he knows how to stop that offense. So I look, at, I look back at last year and see that as an overachieving five-win team in a way. So when you think of it in that context, and you've added some freshmen to this team who have improved the talent level right off the bat, but it's still a team that's not – that loaded across the board where if you show up and play sort of mediocre to bad football on a day like this, you're, you're still not good enough to pull out of that and, and still get a win. So I think that's, that's where the talent level is showing up. But the, the good news, like you said, is there are things they can fix. Jeremy Pruitt even said it Monday, the biggest improvement you see is from game one to game two. I think he truly believes what he saw on the field Saturday is not what he's going to see the rest of the season. And, and I think players believe that too. So I think they absolutely can pull out of this and beat BYU and, and win some other games this year. But they need to win Saturday. If they don't lose, if they don't win this game Saturday, I think it changes the entire outlook on the season. So you really need to bounce back and, and make this an aberration. You start counting down to the off season. Yeah, if you lose, I mean, and and saying that week one to week two improvement, I mean that's that's kind of betting on yourself and kind of pushing your chips to the the middle of the table because if you're bad uh, against BYU, you're bad. If you're bad against BYU, it's going to get ugly anyway. That's why it's I mean, hard to read into Georgia State beyond it's yeah. a historically bad loss and an awful day for the program. 
but who knows what it means for this team until you see something else and kind of try to figure out what the trend is. Yeah, what's that they say? Life is 10% what happens and 90% how you respond to it, something like that. Well, you made it, you brought up a good point about Tennessee kind of their their sideline, demeanor, body language, whatever you want to call it, kind of resembling that of a preseason game or a scrimmage. And you compare that with what Georgia State, this was, I mean, this is their Super Bowl. And they schemed, they, they schemed it really yeah, well. They, they were really, fired up they, after the first really, touchdown. Yeah, I mean, really, they, really, they really, really schemed it up they, really I mean, well. They've probably been looking at this game all offseason. I mean, this, you know. And they, they were 2-10 and ten and lost seven straight to end the year last year. I mean, year. yeah. So I mean, it they, was they, a long offseason for that group. And, you know, you, you get these big teams, these these Power 5 teams, look at these games as, you know, we don't want to show too much. We don't want to give too much away. And, and on the flip side of that, is you've got these Sunbelt teams, these FCS teams that spend all offseason, spend a good chunk of camp probably preparing for these games and working on the game plan just for this game. And then, you know, because, uh, you know, like, you know, like SEC teams, you, you know, Georgia State's going to know a lot of the teams in the Sunbelt that they're going to face later in the year. So it's a lot of that stuff may be just review for, for all that kind of stuff. But for a game like this, they, you know, they, uh, you, you saw how much it meant to them and their head coach, Sean Elliott, who, uh, is you know, he was sweating through his. I mean, he looked like Bruce Pearl over there on yeah, from the opening kickoff. I mean, oh yeah, he he did. The, what I'm thinking about here is, and and this is a good point talking to, you know, about the way some of those seniors for Tennessee reacted to that game and that loss and the the comments they made afterward. I'm gonna throw out a word here: legacy. Uh, these seniors now that game right there. Uh, and there's not many seniors. Let's point that out. Yeah, there's, there's not them. many, but those upperclassmen on the team, especially those few seniors, th- this game sped up the clock exponentially about their legacy. And right now, if they don't go to a bowl game this season, their legacy forever. If you're a fourth year senior on this Tennessee football team, was that you didn't go to three, you didn't do a, your last three years in the program, you did not go to a bowl game any of those times. That is something that makes it more difficult to even come back to, like, Letterman's functions and things like that because you will be seen as part of the problem and not the solution. However, if you can help get this thing turned around, you can be remembered fondly as a group that helped the program get going in the right direction, and they have to figure out a way uh, to, to, to work with and to get those younger players to understand exactly what's at stake here because if they don't get this thing turned around whether it's fair or not their legacy will be that they were losers and that is a hard thing to say probably a a much harder thing to hear uh, but that's something this group needs to understand that that is the sense of urgency that is now on them from this time forward the rest of the season it has to be You, you hear guys talk a lot about wanting to leave a place better than they found it I mean they were freshmen in 2016 when the program was uh, top 10 ranked in the country had a chance at the SEC. Now we all know how that turned out. Um, but this is a chance for them, as you pointed out, West, to kind of be the class that had two years of one staff and two years of the next staff. And so you, you I don't want to say bridge the gap, but you had to overcome some crap in the middle of your career. You stuck it out. You could have gone somewhere else, but you didn't. And here's your chance now to to try to leave this program better than, than when it was at different points of your career. And like you said, it, it's go time. And, and you know, whatever these players say, said Saturday, whatever anybody says this week, I just keep going back to one thing. It, it only matters what happens at 7 o'clock on Saturday night. Yep. They can have a great week of practice. They can feel really good about where they're going. They can have a great game plan. But if they don't go out there and play with energy and play with fire and play like this game is do or die, because like you said, Grant, it is, then, and, and don't win, then it doesn't mean anything. It, it's All that matters now is how they play Saturday night. Now they need to have a good week of practice, but – yeah, and all that they need to they need to be locked in and all that kind of stuff. They need to be few. They need to be motivated by getting embarrassed. I mean, Tennessee's a laughing stock college football right now. I mean, yeah. If you're listening to this, you've probably had a rough day at work. Uh, if you're listening on Tuesday, because you got at least you got Monday off from having to go to work or whatever. It, but if you go to work, you know, if you're a Tennessee fan at work, you're going to hear about this probably all week. Yeah, what was it? Little Little was tweeting. He said that people the next day, every time he would just run, say Georgia stuff, State to him. Just said Georgia State to him. They didn't say, "Hey, how are you, boy? That was rough yesterday." They just looked it's, at him and said, "Georgia I mean, State." You, you are the you are in Tennessee. You know they've they've made themselves a punchline on their own a lot, but this is, you know, this is the same kind of you know this is a different kind of punchline. Yep, they need to understand right now, and this is that's every coach, every player in that program. Uh, they use the expression "look in the mirror." They need to look in the mirror right now, and they need to understand, point blank period, you right now are a part of the biggest laughingstock in college football at this moment. 
Now, if they, he, they, they were they were put on the prayer list at my church on Sunday. Yeah, I, I mean that <laughs> makes sense. Could, could, could I'm you, not kidding. I'm not kidding. You, they you were. need to put that punter in the Lehigh game on there too. That's right. Because you think, it oh man, he got oh, he got crunched. But if, if you if you understand that, and I think you know, because you say that football players say, "Oh, well, I'm not going to tweet during the season." Yada yada. If you've seen any kid below the age of about 25, you can never get them away from their phones ever for any reason. Kids these days. And so they're, they're, they may not be posting. They're on social media. They're flipping through Instagram. They're flipping through Twitter. They're trying to see what their friends are up to. They're doing all these things. And they better be acutely aware, and I'm sure they are, of their, their status right now. And if that's not something that humiliates you to the point where you improve... You're not a competitor. You're well, just it's, not. It's like it's like Pruitt talked about a Monday. You know, part of that process of looking in the mirror and figuring out what you can do better includes digging a little deeper, having a little bit more pride. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way he said to the team is that everybody in here has Tennessee across the chest, right? And there's a lot of people out there that you know that are listening that were wearing Tennessee stuff on Saturday, excited for the new season, you know, expecting to see a win, and they got the complete opposite. Because you can't keep punching and, a fan base in the teeth and expect them to get up, and, no matter how great they are. And they just they gotta find they. And I think they're right. used to getting kicks in other places. Actually, Pruitt's <laughs> right. That's, that's a very fair point. This team from the top down, they have to they have to dig deeper and they have to show some show some stuff and, and get this thing back on track. They cool. do, and let's let's be real though. That what this game did. I know everyone's looking at this, and I, I think Grant made a good point earlier about this being the first game of the season. Appreciate uh, it. The Tennessee fans, Tennessee players. I don't think anyone's really been through this. Good job, Grant. Like Thanks. usually when there's a <laughs> usually when there's a game like this, it's been, in Tennessee's recent memory. It's been you know under weird circumstances or toward the end of the season. It's been sort of the final straw in a bad year. This is starting the year, and I don't think people really know what to make of this. But all this really did it 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 did a lot to Tennessee's chances of making a bowl game and all that. But it took away their margin of error. That's that's essentially all this did. Now they they bounce back from this and beat BYU. They're still. Very much within reach of a bowl game. Better All not those... be asleep at the wheel against Chattanooga. Better yeah, not yeah. Be asleep at the wheel against UAB, UAB in November for sure. Uh, and UAB won ten games last year. That won't be an easy game. Well, yeah. if Ouch. if if, yeah. if they can avoid Calland, <laughs> if if they can find a way to keep playing hard and to stay focused, or, or or let me say this another way, if they can find a way to keep playing hard but get focused because they were not Saturday. Uh, then if they can do that, I think they have a chance. And there's a few reasons for that. One, those young guys are going to get older. Uh, they're going to be able to play some games. They're going to get some experience, and they're going to learn what happens when you don't do what you need to do. Uh, the second thing is uh, Daniel Batuli will be back very soon, and I think we all saw Saturday just how important he is to getting the defense lined up in the front seven. Uh, he plays a huge part in that, and I know nobody wants to make excuses, um, and you shouldn't have lost to Georgia State anyway, but they needed Batuli out there, and you saw why. And uh, I will speak only for myself here, um, but I don't think I'm the only one who thinks this, that now there's maybe a better chance than some of us thought that Bryce Thompson comes back at some point this this season. So they will, if they can avoid more catastrophic personnel losses, they have every chance to go out there and get better. Uh, So I I don't think as bad as Saturday was, uh, I don't think that this is a lost cause. And I don't think anybody needs to think that right now because – uh, if, if that's the the case, then what's the point of any of this? Well, I mean, people, you know, uh, the instant reaction is, well, how, if they can't beat Georgia State, how can they beat anybody else? Well, first of all, the reality of college football is every week is different. Just the way you played one week doesn't mean you're going to play that bad the next week. I mean, we saw it with Tennessee last year. Nobody thought they were going to beat Auburn. They did. Nobody thought they were going to beat Kentucky, and they did. And then the next week after they beat Kentucky, they played probably one of their best games of the season. They, they, they stunk it up against Charlotte. Now they won, but they didn't play great. So – uh, how you play from week to week is, is different. For let me let me let me rephrase that. For about for everyone else that isn't Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio unless, State. Yeah, unless you're the elite of the elite, maybe LSU this year, and maybe uh, you know you, there will be fluctuations in how you play from week to week, given you know circum- certain circumstances. So just because Tennessee can't beat Georgia State, it's not like this is the transitive property where every team that was. Better than Georgia State last season, Tennessee automatically can't be. That's not how. Yeah, it's, it's that's it's, not how it works. It's not. It's not basketball. <laughs> and and, and Georgia that. State might be markedly improved from two and ten last season. We don't know. They brought a lot. They brought back a lot of players, but yeah, it's more transitive than the other college sports um, because in 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 place things like basketball, baseball, that you, you know you don't 
you can see more even less transitive but, but stuff even, there. But but football is still not completely. You're right. It's not completely transitive. Like for, you can't you yeah, can't for judge the, this. Aside from the elite of the elite, just about everybody's capable of beating everybody, and we've seen that before. The other thing that this does to add on to what Ryan said is that this, uh, if 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 Jeremy Pruitt was still in his honeymoon period, it's over now. Yep. And there were, there were some people that probably yeah, he, he re- ended it with the way last season ended. Uh, I don't think that was fair for reasons Ryan pointed out earlier. This team was favored to win three games last year. They they you could make the case that five and seven was overachievement big time, um, given what they had and what they faced in the schedule. But uh, there it's over now, and he's he's whatever goodwill he had. Yeah, he, it's he, he probably mostly gone in a lot of people's eyes. They're he, not going to fire him the, this week. Let's get that out of the way. He went to the bank and withdrew all of that, all that goodwill. <laughs> They're probably not going to fire him if they lose to you. If they lose to BYU, can't do it. I mean, it's been 14 games. It's you know they'd just be insane, um, and it would be you know, it's it's not even worth talking about because it's just so far fetched. But um, it's not time to fire the coach. It's no. not time to change the quarterback. Because it's not, it's not time to do either one <laughs> yeah. of those things. They've, they've, it's just not. It's and if you're saying that, I'm gonna tell you right now, you're flat wrong. If yep. you think it, either of those things needs to happen, you're wrong. I mean, there. I mean, there's people wondering if Urban Meyer will come here. Like, let's 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 be realistic here. Not if you, you you've you've he's changed going, coaches how many times? He's, yeah. going, he's going he's going to USC. Probably. When does being realistic have to do? Over, <laughs> over the past, when, dec- when does that ever? Impl- Tennessee uh, has tried applied. to change coaches multiple times, and it's still not worked. Yeah, but, look at look at what you've been the so past ten years. Let's, I mean, let's, I mean, who says Gruden sold on the Raiders? <laughs> Just let's. How about we give this guy more than oh thirteen boy. games? Oh boy. Well, and, and to make Tennessee fans feel and better, then see, then we'll have a better idea. Of what it's it's what like baseball. Got. The best thing about going down four nothing in the first inning is you have eight innings to score four runs. Yeah. So they they have they have eleven games left to to make people yeah. not forget about that game, but think less about. How that about game. those Braves, Grant? <laughs> well, and here's the thing. West probably don't want to talk about. It. Here's the thing. This you're, has happened. You're correct. This has Let happened to to other Tennessee teams in recent or other SEC teams in recent memory. I mean. It doesn't take going back very far. I mean, South Alabama beat a 28-and-a-half-point favorite Mississippi State in, in 2016. LSU lost to Troy in 2017. Florida lost to Georgia Southern in 2013. Uh, I mean, that Florida it, team was bad, though, wasn't the, it? It was. And South Carolina lost to the, the Citadel in 2015. That's two, an FCS team. The two Florida players blocked each other. They did. So I mean, South Carolina was an interim coach. By the way, who's that interim coach, by the way? Yeah, Sean, Sean Elliott. But, he was on the App State staff. Yeah, he but was the, on the App State staff. Miracle worker. But the point is, and we maybe look back on this Tennessee team as a not very good team. It may be a five-win Tennessee team at the end of the day. But the point is, teams like this can lose to non-Power 5 teams. It's, it's, a much, it's an era of much more parity in college football. And Tennessee, I think, showed Saturday that if you come out not ready to play, if you treat it kind of like a preseason game, if you don't give a, every opponent their, their full attention and, and effort – you can lose to almost anybody. And, and we've seen Tennessee almost get upset in games like this in recent years. You know, Troy took them to the wire. They didn't play very well against Charlotte even last year. So you, you have to come ready to play, and they didn't. So, but feel better, Tennessee fans, knowing you're not alone. Other SEC teams have gone through this, and they've, they've gotten through it, and they've gotten mm. better, and Tennessee will do the same Tennessee, thing. This Tennessee, is, Tennessee, Tennessee will get better. I just don't yeah, know when that will happen. But, the, but this is not a sign that Tennessee will never be good at football again. I, I heard that reaction Wrong. to Saturday's game. This I, is I, it. <laughs> I, I heard people say, this is Tennessee's done. They'll never get back to – and that's just not – that's not how people should be looking at this. I know it's the first game of the year. Everybody's processing this, but that's go, not a rational reaction. If to you're this. listening to this at home, go get out a notepad and a piece of paper. Or a dry erase board, if you have one of those handy, those help too. And kick it. Go, Yeah, do that first. <laughs> Go kick it and then put it back together and then put it on the wall and then repeat after me, this is what you're going to write down on this piece of paper. It is not time to fire this coach. It is not time to change this quarterback. Get both of those things through your head right here, right now, because either one of those things right now would be categorically stupid. Well, I don't you just cannot do that. I don't think anybody's saying Jeremy Pruitt should be fired anytime Ooh, soon. Boy. No, 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 right now. I don't think that's the, but I think a lot of people are saying that Jeremy Pruitt whether he knows it now or not is going to get fired eventually and it's going to have started with this. Whether it's at the end of this year end of next year, I think some people are looking at it like that. I said 3 years from day 1 and there is yeah. almost nothing that could happen that would I completely me agree from 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 saying a third now, year needs to happen. Now maybe Tennessee goes 2 and 10 and, and causes you to reevaluate that at the end of the year, but that's about the said, only thing. It would take that for me to even consider it. Uh, LSU by the way after they lost to Troy, they also had a 30 point loss to Mississippi State earlier that year. Yeah. They went 6 and 1 down the stretch the regular season. So yep. their only loss was to Alabama. They beat they won at Florida, beat Auburn, beat Ole Miss, Arkansas, came here and won. Well and beat I, Texas A M. 
And so, I, well, well, let's remember what we all said before. In LSU that season, play who were the first two games? BYU and Chattanooga. Oh, there you go. Uh, what a the, small world. It the is. stars are aligning. But but let's remember what we all said at the time. Or a lot of fans were saying at the time Jeremy Pruitt was hired. It's a four year rebuild. Maybe even a five-year rebuild. It's a big rebuilding job, and you're at the start of year two, where some of the old talent that caused you to go four and eight two years ago and five and seven last year, you still have those guys playing big roles in a lot of cases. So, and, I'll, and I will say this all before we go to break here. I'll say this: y'all were listening, uh, you've been listening to us for an entire off season. Uh, I don't think we've sat here and just completely lied to you, but but I think we need to be accountable to the fact that none of us thought this was even possible, yeah. really, and we have to own that. If we want people to listen to our opinions, if we want people to believe the things that we're saying most of the time are generally accurate, we have to sit there and say, boy, we screwed the pooch on this one because I don't think anybody thought this was going to happen. And uh, maybe a few people in Atlanta, Georgia did. But other than that, most people did not think this was going to happen. So it is what it is. I think we were wrong about how good this team could be. But that doesn't mean this team has to be terrible. That uh, that Mississippi State team that lost South Alabama, by the way, uh, they ended up going five and seven. They did beat top ten Texas A and M team though later yeah. in the season. There you go. Uh, and one of their losses was to BYU. What's on, BYU plays everybody. Let's apparently. not miss the uh, what is it? The forest through the trees here. Vol calls is going to be electric. Oh my god! <laughs> electric. It, it is. It can't wait. Appoint, but appointment radio. Can't wait. But the call screening will be on point. Oh so. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, they'll have to. They'll have to wear full body armor. <laughs> There's still going to be some to get through the screening process. So that's going to be. That's going to be tough. Good luck with that, people who have to do that. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, we will step away for a second. We'll come back. We're going to talk a little bit about recruiting because, hey, uh, uh, Tennessee invited some recruits to that big pants party over the weekend. So we're going to we're going to step away. We're going to go pay some bills, some products, some services, uh, some uh, some in house ads, perhaps. We'll get through all that. We'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about um, the the recruiting pants party Tennessee had over the weekend. Hashtag ad. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. Full crew coming here to you from Fort Rucker Studio on a Monday afternoon. West yes. Rucker, Patrick Brown, Ryan Callahan, and Grant Ramey. Yeah, Grant stayed. Uh, and Grant, he threatened to leave. Well, hey, oh, I'm still here. Grant's name, I, I broke up the counterclock. I broke up the clockwise thing because Grant's had a little bit of an attitude issue today, if I'm being honest with you. Um, I don't know if it was... He's a little under the weather. I don't know if it's been a little bit of maybe I just didn't come to play week one. Maybe a lot of maybe some sleep issues. I don't. Maybe I don't think he's worried about Thursday maybe, night. Maybe this is my Georgia State podcast. I think he's worried about Thursday night and he's ready to get hurt again. There just there, there have been some behavioral issues. That's all I'm saying. Maybe maybe it is anxiety for the Bears opening with the Packers. Uh, may, it's maybe, the terrible thirty ones. <laughs> maybe it could it could be that it very well could be that. But guys, uh, Tennessee with the with Saturday being a home game at Neyland Stadium. That means that there were going to be some prospects in the house, uh, some visitors, many of the uh, unofficial variety, uh, perhaps a couple from the official variety. Um, But Tennessee hosted some players over the weekend. There is some news there. And with that, I will throw the floor over to – no, I shouldn't say throw the floor in this house. God knows what could happen. Yeah, let's (laughs) not do that. But I'll say I'll throw it over. At least it's a level floor. Yeah, that's true. Laser level. (laughs) Hashtag laser laser level. Uh, We will go over to uh, Ryan Callahan uh, with an assist from – uh, poopy pants Grant Ramey over there and we'll talk a little recruiting <laughs> fellas what what was up over the weekend yeah so not not a huge turnout for this game I mean it's obviously a non-conference game hashtag blessed yeah uh so so but I always say I mean every time there's a game like this or just a bad performance you know Tennessee losing Alabama big last year people always say no recruit could have come away from that and said I want to be a part of that but that's usually not the case almost never the case actually and that another good example of that the official visitor Tennessee hosted over the weekend Lenith Whitehead, the uh, the top 100 linebacker and athlete, Tennessee recruiting him as an athlete, could play running back or linebacker. thought this was an interest, interesting kind of twist, too. Um, he was hosted on the visit by Jeremy Banks, another guy who's played running back and linebacker at Tennessee, so maybe a similar 
type of player there uh, with a with a background at both both positions in his first two years at Tennessee. But um, but Whitehead was a guy that we knew was high on Tennessee going into this visit. Uh, it was his first official visit. He's still going to take four more. He's not planning to make a decision until October. But he said, "Hey, Tennessee's up there." And you know, I asked him specifically about the game and what he took away from it, and he just said. I'm not really too focused on that. You know, the coaches had sold him all along on the fact that this is a rebuilding program, uh, that they were playing a lot of young players. Uh, and, and he said Jeremy Pruitt explained, to, explained it to him after by saying there were just a lot of a lot of mistakes that were made in some, some cases by those young players. Uh, but all those small mistakes sort of added up to a lot of big things. And that's sort of how he explained it after the game, too. So recruits hear that stuff and you know, again, they're not as emotionally invested as fans, so I think they always have just a little bit more of a big picture view. They don't, they don't live in a week to week kind of viewpoint. They're not looking at things emotionally when they when they see a game like that. Now, sure, there was there's some things there that I'm sure Tennessee could have made a better impression. They could have had more fans in the seats uh, at that game. That you know, maybe something like that isn't ideal. It's, it's certainly not it, ideal. Maybe to not see maybe not loss losing. It, it, yeah, it, 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 not ideal. Obviously, the, the loss. I mean, there, there's. Do, do that, I like the coaches? Do I like the facilities? Yeah. Do, do do is this a place, a campus where I'd like to spend the next few years? Right. Is this a, a situation where I think I can help a football team? Yeah, and there are plenty of things that, that could have gone better about that visit for Tennessee. But at the end of the day, Tennessee always puts on a pretty good show on visits. It's an impressive game day atmosphere, all that stuff, even when it's not a, a, a packed house. And you still got all the things that he liked about Tennessee that haven't changed. He likes the coaching staff. He's got great relationships with Kevin Shearer and uh, David Johnson's recruiting him now or uh, more involved in his recruitment since they're talking running back as a possibility. Jeremy Pruitt obviously has a good relationship with him since he's made him a big priority. And I think he sees a, a path to early playing time, obviously. And he looked out there also. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Yeah, and he looked out there and saw proof in his mind of, of what they've been telling him, that they're willing to play freshman because he saw a true freshman starting at inside linebacker, and he saw a freshman running back getting a ton of playing time and, and playing the entire second half pretty much. So uh, plenty of things about the visit still went well. And, and, yeah, sure, it could have gone better, but he still had good things to say about the visit and said he – He's still really, really strongly considering Tennessee. So I still think the Vols are one of the favorites for him, and he's going to take more official visits, but it, it, it didn't go badly. And they had some other guys in the house. You know, Jay Hardy, the top 100 defensive lineman from Chattanooga, was back in town. Ha- haven't spoken with him yet, but, uh, you know, Tennessee's been in good shape with him for a while. So, a- again, to me, if you're looking at recruiting and wondering about the fallout, I don't think this one loss is going to cause. And, and it goes outside of just – the players interested in Tennessee, the ones committed aren't just like, all right, I'm out. Right. That's it. That's... I'm reopening it. It's not like you turn the, the light on and all the cockroaches go scrambling out from underneath yeah. the, the dark places. I mean, they're, they're, they're committed to the program. I mean, sometimes you do lose. I think South Carolina lost a commitment the other day after sure. their loss. I mean, that does happen, but it's not just this blanket kind of yeah. thing that, okay, I'm out of here because you lost this game. Well, and a lot of players in recruiting classes, they as long as they believe the coaches and believe in them and what they're doing, they believe they're the fix this, this recruiting class believes it's the class that's going right. to turn things right. around. Harrison Bailey believes he's the quarterback that can get Tennessee's offense doing right. more than it did Saturday. So all, all those things matter, too. And as, at the end of the day, one loss isn't going to change that. Now, does Tennessee need to win? Sure. Wins and of losses course. matter, but one win or one loss isn't going to matter as, nearly as much as a lot of fans think it will. So what matters is, again, getting back on track and not letting 0-1 turn into 1-7. You're, you're recruited much more by the relationship than by the scoreboard. Yes, and I think that now let, let's not let's not forget this. There are almost certainly uh, some Tennessee prospects who were either guys committed to Tennessee or strongly considering Tennessee. I'm sure that schools from other coaches, in, in some cases, sent them you know texts that were like Tennessee with the lying, crafting, you know, lying and and you know, cracking up emoji where you're crying and all that stuff. So I'm I'm sure they sent those kinds of things. Uh, I'm sure that's something that some Tennessee commitments have had to deal with uh, and some Tennessee recruits, but. You know, hey, it's a week-to-week world. You can go out there and, you know, you could go like 1-11 and 11 but beat Alabama, and you still might have some big-time prospects on board. It doesn't – you never know. Right. And this, again, I think the story will be told throughout the course of the season. The commitments don't seem to be jumping ship right now. I don't think that it's going to happen, you know, quickly if there are any issues there. And they're going to sit back and evaluate things. Now, sure, there are some guys that if, if things continue down this path, if Tennessee loses more games they shouldn't, 
if they lose again Saturday, you know, there, there might be more more concern about that. But right now, based on one it, game, as soon nah. as there comes Pruitt, if Pruitt hot seat talk becomes a thing, sure, that becomes a very yeah. very very big issue for that's, players and their families. That's always a bigger issue. Uh, you saw it with Butch Jones. Let's face it, they had a pretty good twenty seven or twenty eighteen recruiting class coming together in, in that twenty seventeen season. They had guys that are you know starting and playing well at other schools. Adrian Martinez, J C Horn, some good players in that class, and that class started to fall apart when they thought butch jones was on the hot seat and when obviously when he got fired it fell apart so uh the coaching stability is always one of the things that can, can impact things much more than wins and losses so yeah i think if you're if you're tennessee fans that's the thing to consider is don't don't go out calling for the coach's head every time there's a loss because that's the thing that can affect recruiting much much more than a single loss that eventually players and fans will will somewhat get over i think before we step out of here ryan anything uh shaping up for this weekend i know we'll probably discuss that a little more on thursday we'll also get to the the mailbag on thursday and i'm sure that's going to be a pleasant experience but <laughs> uh, well on thursday we'll talk a little bit more about byu uh, specifically we'll talk uh we'll johnny the manziel mailbag. The, the, the johnny manziel comparisons apparently for, mormon uh, manziel for the mormon manziel hashtag mormon manziel is fantastic uh you know johnny manziel never went like 18 for 18 in a bowl game so i'm just saying uh, also didn't also did not abstain from alcohol just you know while while he was a party boy there at uh, in college but somebody sounds jealous um no i'm not really uh, i'm jealous of the cash but you know hey that is what it is right uh ryan anything shaping up for recruiting this weekend so far i know we'll have much more on that later in the week but anything of note or to watch right now yeah nothing nothing major yet we we don't know of any guys that are scheduled for official visits and i'm, I'm sure there will be some unofficial visits in the evening kickoff that helps guys coming in from out of state and out of town where they've got to drive a little ways so that uh that's that's something to obviously keep in mind and this this being a little bit bigger home game than than last week or even next week against chattanooga i think you'll see a pretty decent visit list but we'll, we'll see about that over the next few days and uh, the other thing to, to mention, some Tennessee commitments. You know, the, if you're looking to the future, if you're wondering if things are looking, looking brighter, future. I mean, Harrison Bailey goes out there in a nationally televised game against a nationally ranked opponent and with 118 on the clock, leads his team straight down the field, takes a big helmet-to-helmet shot on the sideline, gets right back up, continues leading his team down the field, and was nearly perfect on that drive. Should be a six-star. Uh, know. <laughs> so, six star. I so, six, six, seven, eight, nine. So Bailey looked good. Uh, B.J. Ojolari, his teammate in, uh, at Marietta High School in the same game, goes out and puts up five tackles for loss. Uh, really dominant performance, I thought, by him on, and played offensive line, too. So he, he's gotten a lot better at being a, a two-way player and and still taking over games, and, and, and I think he's taken a big step forward this year. So uh, T. Hodge had a, had a big game running the ball for, for Maryville High School this week, had a – uh, nearly 140 yards and a touchdown and uh, in, a, in a game where he got a little more work than the previous week. So plenty of guys out there that are showing Tennessee's future still still looks pretty good as long wait, as they, they st- can hold things together. Wait, they still have a recruiting class? They, uh, amazing, right? But, yeah, they, they, they still do. They're and lying. <laughs> still do, and, and some guys that are, uh, that are making plays. Lovey Jenkins, hey, the three-star cornerback, and some people were asking about him recently. He returned a punt for a touchdown this, this past week. So uh, a lot of guys making plays, and that, that's, you know, Recruiting always gives fans hope, I think, and that's you know something to something to keep in mind this week. You know, some of these guys have gone out and looked pretty good, and and confirm what Tennessee's coaches have seen in them over the past several months. Uh, Grant, any uh, any basketball news? Anything interesting? I know a lot of the guys, uh, the, the 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 current NBA players, a bunch of them were were in the house at the end of the week and maybe getting the largest ovation of the day, if we're being honest with ourselves here. The, the biggest basketball news is I think it's like fifty eight days until basketball season. So so you just start set to, your watch, start to count that up. That's uh, right. Grant um, Williams was back wearing his Tennessee basketball gear, looking like a nerd. Yes, as usual. Yes, he, that's uh, that. I'm sure. I'm sure he. Uh, I would. I would venture a guess that he. And they're I, I, all. They're all at the volleyball game because they're all just wholesome young men. I, I would. I would hazard a guess that 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 Tennessee, uh, that Grant Williams probably had a, with Woodson and Campbell and those guys and Eve Ponds. I'm sure they they got back together for a for a Catan game. Do you think now that that, that I, I have some basketball nu- nuggets ooh, too? Why don't yeah. you ask me? What? Well, because uh, one, you're rude. Two. Uh, you're wearing a backwards hat right now. Uh, I'm just kidding. I don't care about uh, that. I saw, I saw uh, Uros Plavsic walking on campus the other day. Uros! That dude is tall. Yeah. A, legit, a large human. A, leg- <laughs> a, a legit 7'1 stands I'm out. I'm like, what's up up there? Yeah. He's, he, not, he's not Taco Fall big. Yeah. He can give you uh, – sometimes you'll know it's raining because it'll rain on him before, like, the thunder and lightning hit. Like, that's how, that's how tall That doesn't make any is. sense. He'll you tell everybody. You, you just got to be standing next to him when it happens. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. 
He's a he's look, a large human. Devonte Gaines is taller than I expected. He's still real thin, but he's taller than I expected. Yeah, he's a number two pencil a little uh, bit. But when you see like some, a lot of guys who are listed at seven foot are really like six ten something like that. Yeah. When you see like a legit seven foot seven one, you're like, oh my god, that is tall. So some interesting things there, and uh, we will have tons of basketball coverage throughout. I know it's 58 days until it starts, guys, and I'm sure you're watching the clock much more carefully now about that. But uh, but you know what? We will have Who, who's, who's we'll have basketball bad news. season open with? Uh, I can't remember. That's 58 days until the Boo. exhibition, which is against – And you call yourself the basketball writer. Yeah, against uh, whatever um, – some Southeast State A&M Tech or something. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not Georgia State. FCS Southeast. Grant is locked in. Because Georgia State, Georgia State actually ain't a bad I'm basketball. Fire, baby. Georgia State ain't a bad basketball program at all. But uh, that's where it is, guys. Tough week. But uh, we will be back. We'll be back on Thursday. We'll have plenty to discuss. We're going to, as I said earlier, break down BYU a little bit more. Going to have a mailbag. Going to have some recruiting information for the weekend. Uh, we're going to have a lot of things to talk about. Until that time, you can go back in, in our feed here and you can listen to all of our previous podcasts. There's a, almost a couple hundred of them now. You can you can go on through if you'd like. You can listen to us breaking down the Georgia State game and sounding apparently really, really, really stupid uh, if you want to do that. But if you want to go to the website, you can go to GoVols247.com. Uh, you can also find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown, P. Brown 24-7. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7. You also can go to facebook.com slash goballs247 where Grant does an excellent job with that. Or we can go to twitter.com slash goballs247 and hear from all of us on that account. Uh, or you can go drink straight from the hose goballs247.com, the best site on Al Gore's internets, period, dot, end of sentence. More Tennessee coverage than you'll get anywhere else, period, dot, end of sentence. We have all that stuff for you there, 30% off of an annual subscription. And you know what? Hey, uh, maybe when things are at their are, are at near their lowest uh, is a good time to, to jump on the boat and see what it's all about because it probably can't get much worse than this. Pat, any final thoughts? Braves. <laughs>